You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening once again. It is Thursday, the 24th of March. I'm coming to you from Dubai, uh, where I am getting ready for the Dubai World Cup of 2022. Later in the show, you'll be hearing from William Haggis, who is peppering this fixture with a stronger contingent than ever before. He's got some really interesting runners across all the feature races. He also happens to have the favourite and two further fancied runners for a race in which he's done extremely well in the past. The Lincoln, which takes place at Doncaster on Saturday, ground tightening up all the time with the very clement weather at home. But of course, the jump season is not over in Great Britain, far from it. And whilst there are those of you who won't be particularly turned on by jockeys and trainers championships, there's no doubt that the possibility of a five-way go for the trainer's title in the run-up to entry and beyond is pretty spicy, particularly given the fact that Willie Mullins, who is based, of course, in Ireland, could become the first person since Vincent O'Brien to win the British and Irish Trainers' Championships in the first season. Admittedly, everything would have to go right, but this is his first meaningful stab at it, perhaps, since 2016. And he's just given a glimmer to us that he might give it a go. David Yates is newsboy from the Daily Mirror. So Dave, you've got some figures to hand. Can Mullins really be the first since Vincent O'Brien to do this and spoil Paul Nichols' putative party? He certainly can, Nick. I think it's unlikely, but it's certainly a possibility. Let's just have a quick look at the figures. As you say, Vincent O'Brien was the last person to do this. That was in the uh, 1953 to 54 season. Uh, He also did it the uh, previous campaign. Just breaking down the numbers for the three days of Aintree, on the Thursday, there's 930,000 quid. That's the value of the seven races, of which, according to my records, 518 grand in total is available for the winning horse. Uh, Friday, 845 grand total for the seven races, and 472 grand available uh, for the seven winning horses. And then, of course, on Saturday, it goes up. Uh, it's 1,695 grand that's available. And it is 890,000 uh, quid. Obviously, that involves the national, which is worth a million quid. And it's 500 big ones uh, to the winner. So just looking at the, the figures as they stand, uh, Paul Nichols has two, th- two million. 133,664 quid on the board. That compares with Willie Mullins, 1,569,890. That's a gap of 563,774. But as you can tell from the, the figures that I've read out, then certainly the, the, the winner's tallies, uh, you're looking at about, what, 1.6, 1.7 million quid uh, to the winner, and substantially more if you're, as Willie Mullins is apt to do, train not the winner but the placed horses yeah. as well. So it's certainly a possibility. Um, as as we know, when we get to this time of the season, much depends on 
uh, the outcome of the the Randox Grand National. Dave, interestingly, Aintree this year might be of even more heightened significance in this regard because it comes after the valuable racing at Air the previous week, which is very unusual. So it's not as though there are quite as many goodies beyond Aintree up to the finale at Sandown as there would be in a normal year. No, that's very true. Um, as you mentioned, just the, the, the runners in the Grand National, uh, Highland Hunter for Paul Nichols, and there are four uh, for Willie Mullins, Burroughs St. Bramable, Augusta Gold and Class Conti, of which Burroughs St. would, would be much the, uh, the strongest fancied of that quartet. Um, I mean, the other thing that one should mention with this, and as you say, Willie Mullins uh, had a lead after Cheltenham and then couldn't quite uh, couldn't quite clinch the title. Nichols, one one of Nichols' great strengths, isn't it, is uh, is the placement of his horses, and we, we we revisit this every year in the closing stages of of the campaign. Uh, he's got those often in the past few years, those sort of slightly second tier chasers and hurdlers that he particularly chasers that he manages to get some decent pots with and so it is it's it's unlikely but certainly looking at the figures it's a possibility that uh mullins could do it and what's the what's the gap between 1954 and 2022 that's is it 68 years so we might have our first irish winner of the jumps trainers championship in that time and it just sort of leads me on to a point that was made um, earlier this week, which is that Britain shouldn't be frightened of Ireland per se in terms of hoovering up all the, the best horses, owners, staff, etc. It should simply be frightened of, of, of Willie Mullins. Well, yeah, I mean, there was a um, there was a good piece by Chris Cook in the in on the Racing Post website, the front runner, the other day when uh, he was he was expressing concerns as as I've certainly expressed about how good this is for jump racing and that that with with 10 of the 28 races at Cheltenham going to Clasutton, then inevitably people look to improve. So you'll be looking at 12 and then maybe in the not too distant future, 14, half of the 28 races. But yeah, it looks that way, doesn't it? It's, it I mean, it would be a remarkable feat if Willie Mullins were to pull this off and it would, it, it, it would reignite, wouldn't it? The... Uh, the debate, if it is a debate, the discussion about the relative strengths of uh, jump racing in Britain and Ireland. But as you say, we, we're we're not really talking about Ireland. We're talking about uh, Clasutton and the the vast battalions that Willie Mullins has. With regard to Aintree, it, it is in, it, it's it, he makes no secret, and he said this. I think after uh, I think it was after uh, Vauban had won. The triumph hurdle. We said, you know, will, where will this horse go? And he said, well, normally I go to Punchestown with uh, with my my horses from Cheltenham, and we're used to seeing a, a, a less strong representation from Clasutton on Merseyside. But he's got so many of them these days, and he's got more than ever that if he were inclined to uh, to, to go for some sort of policy switch and send a, a stronger team to Aintree. He must have the numbers, even even the Willie Mullins uh, second and third strings, you would think, if he were inclined to send some of those to Liverpool, they'd, they'd give the home team plenty to think about and and probably eat into that lead of, what is it, 560, 563 grand uh, that 
Paul Nichols currently enjoys. Yeah, and don't forget there's a small matter of Nicky Henderson and Dan Skelton as well, who are between the two at the moment and will both be very well represented at Aintree. So it is boiling up into being a, a very interesting end to the jump season. But this weekend is very much all about the beginning of the flat at Doncaster, as it is about what's happening here in Dubai. Uh, trainer William Haggis, who you would normally associate with sort of launching the flat turf season in the UK, and indeed he tries to do so again, in the Lincoln is is here as well because I would put it to you, William. This is arguably your your strongest contingent for an international race day yet. You're you're properly throwing some darts at it. Oh, absolutely. We've never had uh, usually. Maureen and I come out for one runner, and we stand there looking at him for or her for uh, hours on end, thinking, "What are we doing?" But uh, we're keeping very busy with these five. Yeah. Was that was that a concerted strategy then? Did you sort of have a little battle plan in mind last autumn for this? Well, for, I did for Mahafath and my Obron. I hoped he would get in. Um, and Alan Kerr was always coming here after the arc if he could get here. And Dubai on his own by Dubai. Um, and uh, until the end of October, we didn't know. We'd never heard of Grocer Jack. So he's a bit <laughs> of a new boy to us. But, yeah, I mean, you look at the, the racing now worldwide, it's become, when I first started, the Arc de Triomphe was the end, essentially, in the champion stakes. Um, but now we've races all over the world in the winter, in uh, Japan and Hong Kong and uh, Dubai and Saudi Arabia. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, the next stop for these horses is something like Royal Ascot. So... That fits nicely, so why not have a go at a, a race as valuable as this, especially with the Geldings, my Oberon and Dubai Honor. They're now chasing money. They've got no chance of doing anything else. And, and it struck me, really, that with, with horses like this, those are top-class flat horses, yes, sure, you want to give them a break in a cold British winter, but it's not as though you can go and turn them out in a field or anything, is it, really? I mean, not at that time of year. Not really, but we've had a remarkably mild winter, really. I mean... Um, it's it's been extraordinary. When I left on Tuesday, it was 20 degrees. We're talking about the week after Jolton. It's extraordinary. So you know we're 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 blessed, been blessed with the weather. We I can't think of seeing snow. I was away for nearly three weeks in mm. the, over Christmas. There may have been some then, but I can't think of seeing snow no. at all. I mean, I can't. I know I've been in and out of the country, but I can't remember it. I'm, horses that are really interesting at the, at the weekend here in, here in Dubai, first of all. I mean, Mahafeth, there were times last year he just looked all pace and class and style, didn't he? I mean, do you think this is the sort of test now, the Dubai turf, nine furlongs? Do you think you've got that distance absolutely spot on? Well, it'll be very interesting. Um, we were talking about it this morning with Shaker Hissa, Angus and Richard, and, 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 you know, I feel that... that just his last few races when he got up to this level, I, I felt he was always weak in the last bit. And, you know, his his last furlong at Ascot uh, in the Jogmont and in the Skybet race, the last bit was was his weakest. So I've been thinking about dropping him back in trip. This is a perfect fit, but he'll go back to a mile even. Um, I think it when he gets back to England. But nine here on fastest ground should be ideal, I would think. It's quite a strong race of its type, isn't it? But he's he's, he's right, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. 
I mean, I've looked for a while at these races in Dubai, the World Cup and the Shima and the Turf, thinking, well, oh, I must have a crack at these. These don't look for the money, don't look so strong. Well, this year, I mean, the World Cup looks uh, unbelievably strong, as strong as anywhere in the world. And the Shima has got five or six horses rated, five horses, I think, rated over 120. You know, there's no race in the world that gets that sort of field. And... Um, and the Dubai Turf is a strong race. I mean, they are, they have, um, uh, you know, Alan Kerr, Dubai, uh, not so much Dubai, but on ratings, Alan Kerr and Mohafeth have got quite a bit to find to even feature. So if they run in the three, I'll be thrilled to bits and that they will both have put up a lifetime best. Yet yeah, they're the shorter price of the of the two horses you have in each race, Mahafath and Alan, because I suppose they've got that sort of latent potential. Uh, Alan Kerr looked really sharp when he when he made his winning comeback on on the All Weather. Yeah. Did did that surprise you at all? Given what he looked last year, uh, it did actually. I didn't really. I wanted to get a blow into him before Dubai, and um, I, I said to Armando and uh, who manages for the owners and the owners that. I thought this was seeing him at his worst, a mile and a quarter, sharp track uh, like Lingfield against a, a probe and specialist who won a nine furlong race, obviously got a lot of speed. And Fancy Man, who was third in that race, beat us comprehensively uh, in a listed race as a two-year-old. So, uh, you know, I was chuffed to bits with the way he went through the race and picked up as well. And the other, yeah, I mean, Lord North was obviously rusty, but... You know, we still gave him a, 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 a good beating. I thought. Um, you, you know, you'd imagine stepping up in distance, back on turf, you bring about a, an improved performance. How good do you think Yabir is? I know he won the Breeders' Cup turf. How, how high a standard do you think he sets? Indeed, do you think he does set the standard, or do you think it's one of the Japanese horses? Well, I, I fear the Japanese uh, everywhere now. They are so strong. Uh, their racing is of the highest quality probably in the world and uh, they're bringing their not their best ones and conquering the world at the moment but I think Yubir since he was gelding is the most improved horse and uh, you know he's going to be a really hard horse to beat and I think Charlie's very pleased with him he's obviously I don't think he's been here that long but he's obviously you know the only what they're doing work here especially so He's going to be hard to beat. I'm glad he got drawn out wide. And and Grocer Jack, you you debuted him for the stable in in Saudi, uh, not in the in the uh, Saudi Cup, but in the Neom Turf Cup. So you're d- doing a different thing with him. You're going from um, turf back to dirt. Um, how hopeful are you that he'll handle the surface? Only hopeful, Nick. Uh, um, I wanted. We all wanted to go for the Saudi Cup. That's what he was purchased for. And he didn't get in, he didn't, he wasn't high enough rated, so he ran in the Neon Cup because of that. And he was invited for the World Cup, so we uh, gladly accepted. And uh, now it's looking quite a strong race. He's, uh, you know, I wish he'd been drawn out because he was slow away um, in Saudi Arabia, and that was a disaster. He never got a good position at all. And if he's slowly away on Saturday, we are in the really because he's um, you know he'll get all the kickback I'm sure the favourite from one will go forward it's a very short run to the first turn so those American horses the Japanese will be out there gaps and he, he, could, he could be behind after they turn now if he'd been drawn on the outside he could have sort of accepted that and 
got organised going down the back. So Tom will have to be at his sharpest. Now, fo- finally, William, are you going to win the Lincoln on Saturday, which is the race we normally associate you with winning? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, it's well known that we like Mujtaba. The other two are pretty exposed, but they're in good form. Um, you know, I just hope the ground doesn't dry out too much for um, uh, Mujtaba. He's a nice horse, but he's a work in progress. He's a, he, I think he's got more to offer this year. And I'm sure he will come good, whether it's on Saturday, I don't know. Uh, William Haggis there, who's uh, got a, an ex- a very exciting weekend in prospect, much as, as John Gosden had this weekend last year when he struck in the Lincoln and struck multiply in Dubai, uh, most notably, of course, with, with Lord North and, and Mishrif. Benoit de Lassayette was the apprentice rider who struck for him in the Lincoln. He subsequently sat out much of the season um, serving a, a ban for a cocaine offences. But Dave Yates, he's back on Saturday night at Wolverhampton and has issued another apology. Yes, he has. Um, He's coming back at Wolverhampton on Saturday. As you say, this was was Benoit de la Sayette's first ride on turf, I believe, when uh, he landed the Lincoln, one of our real historic handicaps, it goes without saying, uh, on the flats in 2021. Then remember, there was the, there was the, the video that surfaced on social media, uh, whereby initially he distanced himself from that. And then, uh, then came uh, the admission that uh, he had been involved. There was the six-month riding ban. Now, that ended in October. And so uh, he's had a fair time since since the ban ended um as you say there was uh, a, a, another apology that uh, he issued earlier in the week and the 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 win on hakiki was was merely the the climax wasn't it of, of an incredible strike rate uh, that he had on the all weather during uh, the months leading up to march and so we know that he's a, an exceptional talent He's only 19 years old, and so there's plenty of time uh, for Benoit de to put this behind him. Let's hope that he does that, because the, uh, the evidence of, of his first couple of months in the saddle was of, uh, of an extremely promising young jockey with a very bright future ahead of him. So uh, hopefully he can pick up where he left off when he returns on Saturday. Well, Dave, talking of um, social media videos that go viral with negative consequences, today is the day when the independent judicial panel of the BHA um, hears the case into Sir Mark Todd, the highly decorated three-day event rider. Um, Just remind us what the deal is, what's he been charged with and why? Yeah, this is a disrepute charge. uh, Whether licensed trainer Sir Mark Todd is in breach of Rule J19 by engaging in conduct prejudicial to the good reputation of horse racing in Great Britain by striking a horse multiple times with a tree branch on the 29th of August 2020. Remember, this was the rather ugly video uh, where the horse won't go into a water obstacle. So Mark Todd runs at it and uh, hits it, I think it's 10 times, uh, with a branch that uh, he finds nearby. It's pretty ugly, but... In, in my opinion, I think there has to be some context with this. Uh, is, it, is it something which uh, is worth trashing a career that goes over decades and, as you say, um, is, is, is one of the careers in, uh, in equestrianism? Even I know that. Uh, I, I 
personally don't believe it is. I, I suspect that I've, every time we discuss these things, I always get the punishment wrong. I suspect that they might go three months on a fine. And in this that, case... That's the, that's the entry point, isn't it? That's the entry guide point for, for this, particular, this particular charge. It's three months and yeah. a grand fine. And, and you know, yes, it's, it, it's a disrepute charge because he is a licensed trainer. It, it was in an, uh, an event in clinic, so we weren't talking about uh, thoroughbreds. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that, um, that, that we should apply uh, different levels of care to, to, to horses who, um, who participate in different disciplines, but it, from, from British horse racing's perspective, I think, I think one has to say that he's, he's somewhere near the edge of uh, that uh, disrepute charge rather than being bang in the middle of it, if you see what I mean. I, I think that they, they should look for the entry point. Um, it's clearly ugly. He clearly shouldn't have done it. He's admitted that um, via his apology. And uh, with regard to the punishment, they did suspend his licence on February the 16th. So what's that? That's uh, just over about just over six weeks ago. So they might well, I suspect that they will take that into consideration and hopefully uh, a, a career that, uh, that has been rightly celebrated over the decades, uh, Sir Mark Todd can resume. That, that's my take on it. There are, there are voices on social media that will call for a life ban and this, that and the other. But I think that from my, from my standpoint here, it's incumbent on the independent disciplinary panel of the BHA to apply justice as it sees it rather uh, than simply to appease uh, zealots on Twitter, if that doesn't sound disrespectful. Well, you know how we have international horizons on this podcast. Um, Amy Murphy, um, I I think I can still call Amy an upwardly mobile trainer and she won't mind that. Um, Certainly an ambitious trainer is broadening her horizons. Um, and Amy, you can you can tell me why and what you're doing this season. Based in Newmarket, flat horses, jumps horses, you train anything and you do very well doing it, but you're going further afield. Yeah, very much so. So we have um, obviously had a bit of success in France uh, in the time that we've been training. And, um, you know, in order to try and keep owners happy and, and, and keep, you know, money coming into the business, etc., we we just decided that actually, you know, I think we probably rather than just trucking over there every every sort of month we probably need to have try and try, try and attack it a bit more and have a bit more of a base there hence um having uh, rented uh, 15 boxes in la Malay, um just on the outskirts of shanty um for uh, and taking on a temporary license with france gallo um between the months of april to july so sort of you know predominantly the start of, uh, and the bulk, main bulk of the flat season it sounds like an excellent idea. What kind of calibre of horse you, do you need to take over there to do well? Yeah, so we've, 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 kind of, we've taken a variation, everything from sort of horses to run in uh, the conditions races, um, you know, slash sort of black type, right through to the claimers. Um, we, you know, we've done very well with, with horses in the claimers over there through the winter. Um, so, uh, yeah, a, a real, you know, bit of everything and a variation. And in terms of being based there rather than just shuttling backwards and forwards, is, is it more straightforward because of the constraints posed by, by Brexit? We're hearing how difficult it is to get horses to the continent now relative to how it was before. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's currently roughly costing, if if you're using your own transport, it's roughly costing about £1,500 per horse to get on a return trip. Um, whereas beforehand it was hard, you know, pretty much half of that. It was it was basically a Euro tunnel and 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 and, and the diesel money with the staff expenses. Whereas now there's you know there's half of that fifteen hundred is simply paperwork costs and veterinary costs. So um, you know, it, it, but and, unless you're going to be paying that to go over and run once a month, um, you know, it's it's actually once the horses are out there, it's the same training fees wise as it would be in England. So if you can get half a dozen runs out of them in in that time between between the first of april and july then 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 they really you know could be making a good profit so how are you going to divide your manpower <laughs> so obviously lamos my husband and myself um you know lamos could train in his own right but we just do it under, under, under one banner um so between the two of us we won't be seeing as much of each other as, as we would normally because i think you know predominantly we'll probably try and have one person there and one person here Okay, and then you have a little team of people underneath you at each yard. Yeah, so my traveling head girl is going to be based out in France, so she'll run the French yard, um, and uh, and then and then nothing will really change in England. But basically, my people assistant and my traveling head girl are both, you know, so two really good members of staff are going to be based out in France. I mean, I don't, I don't want, I don't want us to lose you, but could this presage of wholesale move? <laughs> Uh, not, it, it's certainly not in the thinking as of yet, but I mean, anything can happen, you know, we're young, we're, we're, we're an ambitious team and, and we want to get the best uh, results for our owners. So, um, you know, uh, I, I was actually really surprised, you know, I was a bit worried about telling my owners, but actually I was, it really shocked me as to how many of them were like, right, let's get on with it. You know, let, let, let's go, we're, we're on board. So, um, you know, I think everybody's as excited as we are to try and to try and get the best best results and 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 money back for for our owners all the very best there to uh, amy murphy with her uh, trip to france traveling a little further afield and uh, on a very very important mission is former trainer charlie mann who is with me now uh, now charlie you are coordinating an effort on the on behalf of horse racing uh, to help uh, in ukraine just just tell me what you're doing who you're doing it with and how you're doing it well, we're trying to get together um, between 10 and 20 horse boxes. Um, we're taking supplies out to, well, it's humanitarian aid um, to the Ukraines, basically, um, refugees. Um, we're trying to get together as much, well, as much stuff as we can. Um, and we're also taking out feed for horses, uh, horse feed, and veterinary equipment, um, medical supplies, tin food, you name it. But... Um, yeah, we're we're getting there anyway. A couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we um, sort of checked in with um, one of the sort of key players in the in the stud book in in Ukraine, who was just telling us how he was starting to lose contact with a lot of the major stud farms and was worried about Russian occupation and was starting to get quite concerned about where some of these horses were. Have you got any clearer idea as to the sort of overall well being of uh, of people in the in the in the sort of horse racing sector in Ukraine? We've got three Ukraines. One of them is my ex-head lad, uh, ex-travelling head lad, Kirill. And we've got two, James, who's at Charlie Hills. And they've got good contacts in Ukraine. So we've got drop-off points that we're going to. And we're in contact, or they're in contact with the people out there. And they move around a lot because of what's happening, obviously. So we won't know 
really where the drop-off points are until probably two days before we go. But um, we've got good contacts out there, yeah. I mean, obviously, this this doesn't come without a, a significant level of of personal risk. How are you sort of managing that, and and sort of how are you sort of building your team to make sure that you can you can get in and out safely? Well, we've got James obviously is doing all the paperwork and helping us get the stuff um, through Calais, um, but it's you know. You, you, I don't think there's too much risk involved. We're going to, we're not going into Ukraine. We're going to the Polish border, uh, Przezetska, and um, that means lots of people are doing it. So I don't think there's an awful lot of risk involved. But it means a lot to me, and I think all the other people that are going, including Oshin Murphy, uh, because it's all right contributing or donating. But I think if you do something yourself. Um, it, it's. I think it's. You'd be conscious is a lot more clear, and I've got time on my hands, and I feel quite strongly about the whole thing. To be honest. Yeah, and uh, Ashina said he's sort of got time on his hands at the moment. It's coming a good time for him. Is he's going to be your wingman effectively? Is he? He's going to be my wingman. I just hope he drives as well as he rides. But uh, we will see. But um, Ocean's up for it, um, and yeah, it's great because we need people like him on board. It's it's good PR for racing and hopefully it'll get us a few more donations and you know we need we need donations, we need supplies, we need everything right now. But it's going the right way and we've started a website and we've got accounts organized with Weatherbiz and things, so it's all going. Alright, so how do we get involved? What do you want, first of all? Um, where do you want it and how can we find out more about it? We've got a depot um, in Upper Lambourne, it's Rodan Farm, um, that's where we're putting all the supplies are going. Um, we've got a website called racingtohelpukraine.uk and on that it's, you've got more bank details for Weatherby's for, for donations, but to be honest Nick, we need anything. We don't want clothes, funny enough, but we need... We need tin food, dry food, we need medical supplies, we need anything, shampoo, anything that, you know, we've got starving children, people that, I mean, anything, basically, anything. I mean, we're in the early stages of doing this, and we even need contacts that we could either get the food from or buy from at, you know, cost or whatever, but I mean, we need as much information as we can get, and we need to start sort of buying stuff or getting stuff next week, really. All right, Charlie, I wish you all the very best with it. Keep us posted and we will give you as much help as we possibly can. Thanks a lot, Nick. All right, thanks to all my guests today. David Yates is still with me. And Dave, uh, from me in Dubai to you at where today? Yeah, John Major country, uh, Huntingdon, the 340, number four world trip, back to winning form over course and distance last time. That was on soft ground, but has won on quicker terrain. Five pound higher here. I hope that Ollie Murphy's mare can follow up. 340 at Huntingdon, selection number four, world trip, funnily enough. David, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening as well. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'll be back again tomorrow. If you do enjoy this podcast, please do tell your friends. And if you've got a minute, give us a rating and a review on any of your podcast providers. That was Thursday, March the 24th. See you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.